you feel good about Bible verses for I'm being real? I'm feeling good, like you knew I would. Let me hear you scream and shout. Oh, that was good, guys. Yeah, we were looking at you, waiting oh, for I'm you sorry. to join in. We're focusing on sorry, each other. I was trying to finish up one more married. thing. Yeah, I'm trying to help Sandals her. Church. Yep. We've lost her. No, no. I'm here. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. Every week, our good old buddy, Pastor Matt Brown, is bringing real answers to your tough questions from the Bible. I'm your friend, Justin Pardee, hanging out here with Dolores. And, That's uh, right. I'm Stephanie Keene. Middle name Dolores. Yeah, why do you, I don't know that I like when you say good old buddy. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I just feel like, like that's like You're our offensive. pastor, but you're also like a, you're like our man with wisdom, but you're like a close friend to all of us here on the yeah. debrief. You're, you're talking about him like it's like a golden retriever or something. Yeah. I'm not like an old guy. Yeah. He's guys, young. I'm, I'm he's mentally fun. and emotionally tired he's spry. from this last weekend. Saw mm. a lot of movies. Okay. Hey, congratulations on not getting fired. Yeah, Thank you very much. Well I gotta tell you, nervous. I was nervous, but it wasn't just your job that was on the line. It was also Stephanie's. Yeah. If my sermon did not go well, Pastor Matt was going to fire Stephanie and then just leave me alone here. Someone here has to tell him, maybe. Maybe you shouldn't say that from stage. Yeah, no pressure, but we did have uh, elders from another church who were thinking about becoming a sandals. They were present and they heard you say uh, penis and testicles. So <laughs> that was right out the gate. Right out the gate. That was great. Well, in fairness, I let them read those words first before I said them. Yes. I think that's, I think that's <laughs> yeah. helpful. Sure. Well, good friends, we're glad that you're here on the show. We're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to be talking about what it means to be real with ourselves, God, and others. We are going to get a chance to get some good questions from Pastor Matt. we got all kinds of good stuff going on uh, the show today. But before we get into that, we are super excited. We have our live show coming up. Today's episode 48. That means we are two episodes away from number 50, which is happening live downtown Riverside on Tuesday, January 24th at... Mm-hmm. 7 p.m. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for that because I had a little panic attack this week. That's why I texted you what day it was because yeah. I'm going to be in Ecuador in a couple weeks and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in Ecuador on the live show. Oh. So that's no, why I texted you. you covered. Yeah, you're thank set. you very much. You're set. Please bring back some coffee beans for us. Ooh, I think yes, we have a please. staff member from Ecuador. Yeah, Chantal. Yeah. Boom. Chantal. Well, all right. Well, details. that live show is going to be great. We're going to have 150 seats available, 300 max. So please make sure you RSVP on Facebook so we know how many folks are coming. We want to make sure that we can get everyone in there. Yep. And it's also not going to be a kid-friendly night. So yeah. just keep that in mind when you come. Really yeah. an adult experience. If you experience. want to come hang out at the show, bring your babysitter. Or no, wait. Leave, Don't bring hire your babysitter. babysitter. Leave yeah. your kids behind. It's likely that we will be dealing with some... Uh, tough questions about Deuteronomy 23, chapter 1. 23, <laughs> Deuteronomy 23, 1. Those kinds of things. So uh, leave your kids at home, friends. Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling excited about that one. Well, hey, if you want to get your questions here on the show, you can send them into us, debrief.show, click send a message, or head on over to our Facebook page and send a message that way. Either way, we are super excited to get your questions on the show. We got a couple of different follow-up questions before we start talking about what it means to be real. We sure do. This first one is actually a review slash question from Jessica. Ooh, she double, says, thank you. Double, double, I know. I really appreciate this. She says, thank you so much for this amazing podcast. I've learned so much from your smart and sometimes silly approach to keeping us educated about God's truth and will for our lives. I think I'm the smart the silly. Yep. That, okay. I knew it. Nailed it. Wow. What a team. That's beautiful. Where does, where does Dolores fit in here? Yeah. I'm, the, Smart, I'm just the ampersand insane. in the middle there. <laughs> just keeping it all together. All right. So she has a question actually from her husband who is not a believer. She says, after almost 20 years of fighting God's call, he still has questions. So I continue to pray and have hope for his salvation. His question right now is that if God knew that by creating humanity with free will, many people would ultimately suffer eternity in hell, why did he do it anyway? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question, Jessica. And so let me just, you know, first of all, share that, you know, people don't, um, 
reject Christ because of a lack of information. So the first thing that you need to understand that what needs to happen in your husband's life is there needs to be a spiritual awakening. And so, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that we tend to do uh, with people that we love, family, friends, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, is we try to argue them into the kingdom or to present enough information. Right. Um, Here's the reality. Um, you know, Jesus is a, is a historical fact. There's more evidence for him than just about any character in human history. We have more, you know, manuscripts. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. And so really what needs to happen is we need to pray for your husband's heart and whatever is keeping him from ultimately surrendering himself to God. So as for his question, I think it's still a legitimate question. It's mm-hmm. a great question. And it's something that we, you know, that we all can wrestle with. But anytime we, when we ask this question, why did God, mm-hmm. okay? As soon as, as soon as we ask that question, we have to accept the fact that our answer is going to be insufficient. You know, I don't know why my wife does things. I don't know why my kids do things. I don't know why I do things sometimes. Right. So when I start off with a question, why did God's a, a being that is beyond my comprehension, that is beyond my ability to understand, that is beyond my level of emotion? I mean, trying to understand God completely is more difficult than trying to understand, you know, the universe that he created, mm-hmm. its vastness, its greatness. Um, you know, so when you look into the depths and the distance of the universe, right, it's it's confounding. When you think about the concept of eternity, right, it's, it's, it's literally overwhelming. And so... So um, just understand that whatever answer I give, ultimately it's going to be inadequate in terms of fully, you know, comprehending why God does, you know, whatever he does. He is God. He is sovereign. Um, I mean, that's one of the things in our culture that we struggle with. you know, to deal with. That's why you and I were talking about the show, The Crown, um, which is this great show on Netflix that kind of uh, follows the life of Queen Elizabeth, who is still currently the queen, but she became, became queen in like 1947, mm-hmm. or I can't remember what it was, at the age of 24. But they constantly refer to her as the sovereign, right? Yeah. She what does, does what she wills. She okay. is sovereignly in charge. No one else speaks to her. And so uh, in a democracy, right, that's a, that's a foreign concept mm-hmm. for us because we elect our officials to represent us and God does not represent us. He represents himself. He is the sovereign. Mm-hmm. He is the one who in and of himself decides what is right, what is wrong, who lives, who dies, who is born, who is not born. He is ultimately and, 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 and without argument in control. And if you don't believe me, ask Satan about that because he tried to you know, have a little election in heaven and that didn't go real well, right. where literally with the spoken word of God, the spoken word, Satan and all his power and all of his angels were cast down forever from heaven because God is sovereign. And when he says, let there be light and there is no light, there is. So why did God create us if he knew that people ultimately would reject him and go to hell? And what I would say is the Bible says that God is love. That's found in 1 John. It's the way John defines God. Love demands choice. Mm-hmm. So like, um, you know, Stephanie's just recently fallen in love with her fiance, uh, Tyler, whom we all like. It's a great guy. I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm not in love with him, but you That's are, good. which is good. I appreciate that. But I couldn't put a gun to your head and say, stop loving him or start loving him because you may, you know, act like you love him or don't love him. But ultimately, I can't change your heart by force. It's something that has to occur inside of you. And so for that to happen... Um, for love to be real, rejection has to be a possibility. Mm-hmm. There has to be the ability to say no. And um, this is why, you know, another question, you know, Jessica, for your husband, why is God so hidden? Because if God completely revealed himself, it would violate your husband's free choice. So when God returns, right, there's going to be a trumpet from heaven. Everybody's going to know that God yeah. is real and he is going to overwhelm us with his presence. So mm-hmm. one of the things that God does um, is he withholds his beauty and his power. Um you know, one of the things, you know, um, 
I don't think that women always operate this way, but guys tend to be overly captivated by the way a woman looks. And so it hijacks, right? Their reasoning, their ability, their thinking. Oh my gosh, this is the woman that I love because she looks good. And so beauty subverts our ability to truly and freely fall in love. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and, and so God's beauty, right, is overwhelming. And, and so he withholds himself and he hides himself from us so that we can fall in love with him for who he is. Yeah. And um, so God does this dance with us where he's hidden and he woos our heart with his Holy Spirit and he sends us his prophets and he sends us his truth and his word. And ultimately he sends us his son. But when he does so, Jesus is ugly. That's what Isaiah says. He's not much to look at yeah. because even then, and so not only that, but he's not rich. He's not powerful, right? He's born in a cave and he is everything we don't think God would be so that God can ultimately woo us with the essence of his being, absent of his power. And, um, um, I, you know, so that's why God did what he did is he ran the risk of knowing that people will forever spend eternity in hell because that's the risk that love requires. In order for him to be with us forever, there has to be the option for us to not be with him forever. And um, I mean, that's what's going to make heaven heaven, right? We all want to be there. Mm. You know, you ever been to a birthday party where somebody doesn't want to be there? You know, right? It's, it's horrible. My own. You're, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's awful. You don't want to be in a place that people don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so um, I would say this, hell, just like heaven, will not be the same for everyone. So you need to go back to our debrief episode on Luke 12, I believe is the episode where we covered that you know, um, aspect. In heaven, there are rewards. Everybody's going to you know, enjoy it and love it forever, but it will not be equal for everyone. And the same thing is true as hell. Hell will not be equal for everyone. You know? So if your husband, you know, I pray this isn't the truth, rejects God, he's not gonna have the same experience as Adolf Hitler because he doesn't deserve the same experience as Adolf Hitler. However, he will be eternally separated from God forever, mm-hmm. and that is hell. And with God forever, we call that heaven. Um, so, um, but it's not, going to, it's not going to be equally awful or equally um, you know, perfect for everybody because God is going to reward the faithful uh, for what they've done in their sacrifice. Uh, that means the apostle Paul is going to have a uniquely different experience from me. Why? He sacrificed more. He withheld held a wife from himself. He withheld kids from himself. He withheld jobs, safety, everything. He gave up everything for Jesus. And I'm grateful. I'm not going to be resentful in heaven. If Paul doesn't do what he does, I'm not saved. And you guys Mm -hmm. probably aren't either. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for his sacrifice. And I will rejoice in all that Paul is given um, because... God's going to do it perfectly. And the same thing is in, is in hell. Everyone is going to see God's justness and God's goodness, even in his judgment. Um, you know, I was reading in uh, 2 Samuel uh, in my quiet time this week, and I just love that story. Um, David sins and he counts um, all of his soldiers and God gets frustrated. And so the Bible doesn't tell us why. I, I, I think that you know, David is either one of two things. He's either relishing in his own pride, look at all the soldiers I have, or two, he's got plan B, which is, okay, if God bails on us, I still got all these guys to protect me. And God's mm-hmm. like, look, I'm number one. And the only reason you have a crown is me, right? You, you were out in the field with stinky sheep yeah. until I found you. So how dare you rely on yourself? And so God sends a prophet to David who says, look, one of three things can happen. You can uh, be given over to your enemies. You can, the land can be cursed. Uh, or you can fall into my hands for three days. And David ultimately says it, and these words are powerful. He says, let me not be thrown into the hands of men for there is no mercy with men, Mm -hmm. but let me be thrown into the hands of God 
for I know that there's a chance that God will be merciful. Hmm. And I mean, think about that. David ultimately chooses the wrath of God because he knows that there's a chance that God will be merciful. And ultimately, uh, God is merciful. And David sees the angel of the Lord at... um, at the threshing floor of a local resident just outside the city of um, Jerusalem. And do you know where that spot is today? Mm-hmm. He sees the angel of the Lord on his threshing floor and, and David goes and buys the threshing floor to sacrifice to the Lord. Do you know where that is? Is it like the temple or something? It's Mount Moriah. Wow. It's the temple. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that is the place today when we go and we stand in the holiest of holies. It was just some dude's barn. Mm-hmm. But that's where the angel of the Lord appeared. Listen to this, when there was mercy for the people of God. Wow. Mm-hmm. So remember, the, the, the temple is not the city of David. Yeah. So you guys haven't been with me. You need to go mm-hmm. with me. And everybody listening, we're going to go not this summer, but next summer, 2018, you got to come. And you got to see the city of David where David was, and you got to see the temple where the temple is. And the reason, and a lot of Jews don't know that, it was just some dude's barn. And that's where the angel of the Lord withheld judgment of the city. Hmm. And that's where the people from that day forward will always go to receive mercy, right? Where is the mercy seat of God? Mm-hmm. It's in the temple. Pretty powerful. That's awesome. So, and I didn't say the dude's name because I can't pronounce it. I'd have to read it. <laughs> That's fine. Oh, the prophet. No, no, no. The guy that owns the threshing oh. floor. All those Hebrew names are so tough. Yes. Fair I enough. think maybe as a prophet Gad. I can't remember. It's yeah. not Nathan. Uh, Nathan is one of the prophets, but it's it's another another one of the the other prophets that God sends. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember his name. So I'll but, forgive you on that one. Yeah, yeah. We'll let it pass. Yeah, we'll it's in go. the last two chapters of Second Samuel. So if you want to look it up. All right. All right. This next follow-up question comes from Natalie. And she says, does forgiving someone mean you have to like them? Or is it possible to forgive someone but still dislike them? For example, maybe an abuser or something like that. Oh, yeah. I think that as Christians, we have a really, really unhealthy view of forgiveness. I think that we confuse the word forgiveness with reconciliation. And Mm. um, those two things are not the same. So here here is the best biblical definition that I can give for forgiveness. It's withholding uh, your right to punish the person for the sins they've committed. I think that's the best. It's basically what it's saying is I'm going to give my anger, my wrath, my judgment, I'm going to give it to God and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to free myself from the need to punish you for what you've done to me. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, that there's been people, you know, at Sandals that have hurt me, former staff members, people that, you know, I've, I've felt hurt and betrayed from, you know, I have forgiven them, but we're not reconciled. We're not buddies. Mm -hmm. We're not going to hang out. You know, we're not, we're not gonna go sip coffee at a restaurant. That's called reconciliation. And reconciliation is a really, really difficult process that two parties must enter into mm. where they are deeply saddened and deeply sorry for what's wrong. And that's that's actually called a miracle. Um, so forgiveness, um, I think, you know, Jesus says, love your enemies. And most people don't know what that means. I think C.S. Lewis, who is a, a British philosopher, um, thinker, he would never say that he was a theologian, but I think that he's one of the greatest theological thinkers of the last century. He says this, that um, loving your enemy means wishing them well. Mm-hmm. You may have to kill them, but you wish them well. Like my desire is that you would re- re- you know, stop attacking me, stop wounding me, stop hurting me, but I wish you well. Uh, it doesn't mean that you treat them, you know, that like they're not your enemy, but but it means that you love them and you wish them well. And, and what you hope for, right, is that they put down their arms and they stop attacking you so that you can be at peace. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't hate them. You don't, you know, revile them. You don't wish them ill. You wish them the very best. Um, 
And so that's what we need to do for people, you know, that uh, we forgive is, um, and here's my prayer. Um, I'll just share with you a prayer that I had to work through with somebody that hurt me very deeply. Here are the, I, I probably said this prayer every day for, I don't know, three or four months. And, and my prayer was, I'm gonna pray this until I believe it. <laughs> mm. um, I said, Lord, forgive them as you've forgiven me. Lord, bless them as you've blessed me. Wow. Um, and I said that prayer every day and I said the person's name because they hurt me so deeply. It was the worst, worst thing of betrayal. It's the closest to a divorce that I've ever, I've ever been through. The, the, the deepest, darkest dagger in your back. And um, I had a friend, uh, actually it was Claude Hickman, that came to me and said, hey, I want to give you this pamphlet on bitterness. <laughs> so, thank you, Claude. I thought you were telling us Claude Hickman yeah, was the guy you betrayed. No, 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 no. Like, like, Claude, Hickman's, okay. Claude Hickman's the one that, uh, you, know, um, <laughs> you know, he was the brother that said, hey, man, I, I feel like this, this anger in you that's turned into bitterness is, is consuming you and you need to deal with this. And I, man, it took me months of praying that, Lord, help me to forgive them as you've forgiven me, right? Because that's mm -hmm. the Lord's prayer. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what that means is release. Release me, Lord, from the judgment that you have for me um, because of the sin that I've committed against you and help me to release this person from the sin that they've committed against me. That is not reconciliation. Uh, like, like we work for reconciliation. We work for, you know, the renewal of all things and the relationship of all things. But man, there are some people that you just need to let go of and, and move on. And especially abusers, man. And, you know, especially God, when it's your parents or a, a relative, you know, somebody who had authority in your life or man, just release that person to God. I think that's the best version of forgiveness. Sometimes reconciliation is possible, but like, you know, when you go through a divorce and there's been adultery, sometimes repeated adultery or abuse, forgiveness, a better word is release. Lord, help me to release them as you've released me. Um, and then Lord, ultimately what I want is your blessing in their life, which is I want them to be right with you and right with everyone else. Um, because I don't want anybody to go to hell, but you know, um, and I think that's ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But just know this, man, the Bible says that when you do that, and this shouldn't be the motivation, but it actually says that's like pouring hot coals on their head on the day of judgment. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul says, right? The very guy who says, forgive says, look, when you do this, you're, you're adding to their judgment. And so people who have received forgiveness, who have received grace um, and don't extend it to others, Judgment Day is magnified, you know, on that day. Think about that, hot coals. I mean, oof. It's, it's an ugly thing. And it's, it's just a picture. I don't think it's, it's Paul's being um, specific. You know, I think right. he's, he's just saying, look, it's going to be bad. Yeah. So, Natalie, thank you for this. And just know that, you know, forgiveness is the real deal. But the, ab the ability to release others from sin is one of the most profound I think evidences of salvation in your life. Mm -hmm. One of the ways you know you've passed from death to life is you are able to release others from judgment. And those who cannot release others from judgment, I don't believe have been released. And that's mm -hmm. what, go back to the Lord's prayer, you know, in Luke, look at it in Matthew, Jesus ties our ability to forgive others as evidence of our ability or our, 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 the reality of that we've been forgiven. So yeah. mm -hmm. man, tough questions, great questions. 
Yeah. Well, good stuff. Let's jump into uh, uh, this opportunity to talk about what it means to be real here at Sandals Church. So this weekend, you're going to kick off a six-week series all about place to be real and what it looks like to be real with ourselves, God, and others. And uh, that's really the vision that you've had at Sandals Church from the very beginning since you founded this in September 1997. Can you tell us the, a little bit of the backstory? Like, wh- where did that vision come from? Yeah, really, the vision was birthed, um, I think, out, out of two places. One from God. Mm-hmm. Right, because God has a vision for authenticity and truth, but two, it, it came from necessity. So I, I want you to understand that 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 I think that um, you know visions come from you know God and His sovereignty and His direction, and also our need. What do we need? Why does God send Moses to deliver the people of Israel? For two reasons: God wants to free them, and because the people needed to be freed. Mm-hmm. So the vision of being real comes from God. God wants us to walk in truth, wants us to be honest, real, truthful, authentic, you know, not, not uh, hypocritical in any way. But for me personally, the way God has shaped me, the way God has made me, I'm a person that naturally hides. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you're, you're both familiar with the Enneagram, which is a personality test, uh, um, which I love. And it's just a test, just a tool. Uh, some nutty weirdo people use it, but it's been really helpful to me. And it's a personality test based upon struggles with sin. And the sin that I struggle with is deception and lying. And I learned from a very early age that, uh, you know, you talked about in your sermon this weekend that y- you learned from a very early age that you weren't enough. So I think that you and I are very similar in that way. So what I learned from a very early age is I have to present myself to be better than I am yep. so that people will like me. So I remember from, you know, I mean, elementary school, I have to dress right. Mm-hmm. I have to have the right shoes. I have to wear better clothes than my parents can afford. And I have to impress people uh, because I want them to like me. So things like being popular were very important to me. Um, things like being athletic. I mean, what, what, however I was going to be liked, those were the things that I pursued at the expense of myself. Yep. And so what that creates is a false self mm-hmm. where I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was about. And you know, that'll work for a while. I mean, you can be fake for a while, but eventually that strategy wears out real quick and it'll destroy and wreck your life. And so here I am, you know, in college, um, you know, sexually active, um, drinking, um, experimenting lightly with uh, marijuana um, and sitting in church, desperately wanting everything that, you know, the preacher's talking about. I want love in my life. I want God in my life. I want truth in my life. I don't want to be in shallow, impersonal sexual relationships. I want deep intimacy. I mean, I want those things. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that I needed so badly to tell people, I'm not like you guys. I, I don't fit here. I, I'm a disaster morally. I'm empty spiritually. I'm, you know, I'm a wreck physically. And feeling like if I tell these people where I'm at, they're going to throw me out. Yeah. And um, I just realized I need a church where I can be real. Mm-hmm. And that's where the vision came from. And, um, you know, I, 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 I quickly, you know, rededicated my life and, and, and changed a lot of things to my life, gave my life to the Lord at Harvest Christian Fellowship, but still found so much of Christianity to be a game. And not, not, not intentionally. I mean, people right. aren't trying to be fake, but there's just pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody wants people to know that their kids are an idiot or, you know, um, or that they're struggling or their marriage isn't right or their finances are a wreck. And so yeah. everybody puts up this image and that image ultimately is what destroys people. Mm-hmm. And let me just tell you this. If, you, if you're not willing to be real, Jesus can't help you and won't help you. Mm-hmm. Um, he invites us into the light as he is in the light. 
So when you read through John, John uses the gospel of John uses this illustration of light and darkness. And so sinners love to live in darkness. Why? Because we can hide. Christians want to come into the light as he is in the light because we want to be healed. And, um, you know, I, I just, I just, I just knew for me, church won't work for me unless I can be 100% real and, and, and authentic. And some people, you know, over the years I've made mistakes and I've been clumsy with how I've delivered those messages and people have judged me. You know, they used to call Sandals Church, Scandals Church, yeah. you know, cause one time, one time I cussed on stage. I mean, you do it all the time, Justin, but I, <laughs> one time I did it. But you know, how disgusting is that, that people judge me for using profanity one time on stage when the truth is I do it all the time in my head. Mm-hmm. I don't do it out loud because, mm-hmm. right, that's sinful, but I'm cussing all the time in my head, you know, about people, about things, about, you know, I mean, the truth is what God wants me to do is, uh, is be real about that. You know, they actually just did a survey. Psychologists have actually proven that people who cuss are more truthful than people who don't. And, 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 the, and the reason for that is, word. and I'm not encouraging, I'm not encouraging you guys to cuss. The reason for that is people who use profanity, they, they're more truthful. They're mm-hmm. telling you how they feel. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is you need to deal with how you feel so yes. that you can stop cussing. Right. But what we do is when we just shut off the, what's coming out, Jesus says, what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. Mm-hmm. And so what Christians do is we just lie with our lips, man. You know, we creatively figure out other ways to, you know, oh, let's pray for Justin. You know, that's like, mm-hmm. he's a total idiot. So but we've got to learn to be real because it's just so important. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, please. I'm not telling you to cuss. I'm just saying, deal with what wants to come out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Go there, talk about that. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful for my wife. You know, so many times when we've had marriage conflicts, I can't tell you how many times my wife has said, just say it so we can deal with it. Wow, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. dude, it's scary mm-hmm. yeah. because sometimes when you say it, then you have to deal with it. And and let me just tell you, there are consequences for being real. I mean, Absolutely. there are. Um, but my wife and I have such a better marriage because she's encouraged me to say, just say it. Whatever it is, just say it. Because the truth is you're dealing with it whether you, you say it or not. Mm-hmm. So the problem is how do, how do you heal in a marriage when nobody will say what's wrong? That's, you know... That's like going to the doctor and trying to have him guessing. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you have cancer. Right. That doesn't work, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a rash. So let's let's just talk about what it is. All right. So now since this podcast is all about getting real answers to tough questions from the Bible, Whoa. Um, I'm curious to know, like, what are some places or verses in the Bible where you've really found God talking about being real? I think, you know, for me, it's when I study David and his wrestles and his struggles. And in uh, Psalms 51, 6, he says, surely you desire the truth in my inward being mm-hmm. in, in, in the depths of my soul. And, and so here's the thing that I would say, God knows more about you than you know about yourself. And so God wants us to become like him and know ourselves, learn about ourselves and uh, think about as, as vast as the universe is, as vast as the solar system is, you are more complex and you are deeper than that. And so God is not just as high as the heavens, but he's as deep as you are in your heart. And so, you know, I love Psalms 51, six. It's one of my favorite verses. And it's just, you know, that awakening of, okay, God wants me to know myself. And when you read the Psalms, the Psalms are the most real passages in the Bible. I mean, David talks about anger and David talks about lust and David talks about heartache and betrayal and fear and hope. You know, I mean, so many Psalms begin with, where are you God? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
and, and, and those are prayers that are just authentic and, and real. And, and, and that's who David is. And, and ultimately that's who, you know, I want to be, um, is, is just real and authentic. But I would say that that's the, that's the most clear version of that. Surely God, you desire the truth in, in my inward self. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned is we can all be disconnected with ourselves. And, you know, you guys know, I went to counseling a couple months ago, um, in Kentucky and, you know, I thought, I thought my wife, you know, needed a lot of help. That's why we went to counseling and I'll never forget. Um, and she knows that I think that, or thought that, and we were sitting there day two and the counselor looked at me and he says, you know, Matt, you're awfully disconnected from how you feel. Here's the guy whose vision is to be real. And he, and he just stared at me. And, um, um, at lunch, my wife said, why didn't you cry in that moment? And I told her, I said, I felt like if I started, I couldn't stop. Hmm because we started to deal with some very, very painful things in my life. Some of the deepest hurts of my life. And I've had a very blessed life. Uh, you know, I'm not abused. I haven't gone through so many of the things that people have gone through, but that yeah. doesn't mean I haven't had hurt. And right. um, even now as a pastor who's 45 years old, whose vision is to be real, even I become disconnected from how I'm feeling and what's going on. And um, I just had, I had to deal with that and, um, you know, deal with hurt in my life and rejection in my life. And, you know, every day, I, you know, I go to stores, I go to grocery stores. I, I, every day I see people who've left Sandals Church, who don't like Sandals Church, who don't like me. And I walk around like that doesn't bother me. And the truth is, you know, I live in this city of like a thousand divorces, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, I need to be open and honest about that and, and talk about that because it affects me. It affects how I love my wife, how I love my church, how I love God, how I love my kids. You know, um, rejection takes an emotional toll on anybody, mm. and I needed to deal with that. And so, um, I, I'm very grateful for this church that allows me to go to counseling. I mean, I can just say, "Hey, I need counseling," and the uh, the board's like, "Go." Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of churches where pastors can't say that because they can say, "What's wrong?" Mm-hmm. You know, and they might get fired. Yeah. And and I can just share that. And um, I, I'm so, I just love this church that this church loves me, and they know that. You know, I'm a mess. Um, you know, in so many ways. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, I just sent a text to some of my best friends this week. Um, you know, one of the pastors that I know loosely, I have, I have a loose relationship with him, but he just stepped down from his church and it came out that he's having multiple affairs. And I just sent my friends a text, uh, actually yesterday. And I just said, I'm so grateful for you in my life. I threw, I said, through better or worse, I said, you guys are one of the reasons I'm not that guy. Cause we've been able to talk through, you know, uh, ugliness in my wife and I's marriage, you know, um, you know, marriage, you know, I've been married for 21 years. You know, there are times where it's romantic and awesome and there are times where it's not. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm just so grateful that, um, I'm not that story. And that's what I, that's what I, I texted them. I said, I'm not that story because of you. And, you know, that's the other part of being real is, you know, people in your life and, um, real people who know you. And I said, thank you for letting me be your friend. And I said, thank you for letting me be your pastor. Cause that's hard. We're the mm-hmm. same age. We went to school together. We've had fights together and I'm not just their friend. I'm their spiritual leader. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've seen me. I mean, they've seen me and Tammy like, like argue and lose our minds, you know, more me than her. I'm more passionate <laughs> Italian, I'm Italian. So, uh, you know, Italians are explosive. Um, and I have that in me. Um, I'm also Dutch, so we repress it. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So 
Just hold it down until it explodes. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. what Dutch people do. You hold it down until you become Vikings and invade England. There you go. <laughs> okay, so, man, really, we say the, try and make Sandals Church a place where people can come and be real. And kind of everything we do here at Sandals Church is is all about doing that, right? We've got church service on the weekends where we're trying to help people figure out what it means to be real. We ask everybody to join a group so that they can work out what it means to be real in their own lives. And then we try and live that out together on teams here at the church. Why is that the vision of Sandals Church rather than something like telling the whole world about Jesus? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think by being real, we are telling the world about Jesus, but we're not just telling him about him. We're telling them who he is. And so that's where I think a lot of these churches that a lot of churches have this vision of the world, right? Like it's a fire. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to run in and pull people out of this burning house. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that illustration, what's the focus of the church? Getting people out of the burning house. But there's no focus on what do we do with the burns that they incurred while they were in the house mm-hmm. and they were burning. And so when you're, when, you're, when you're in an emergency situation, you don't care for people really well. You get clumsy, mm-hmm. you get overly focused. Who's, who's ministering to the firemen that are running into the house? Who, who's doing that? And so, you know, my my vision at Sandals Church every week is I understand that some of the people that are there are lost and they need to be saved. Most of the people are not. Mm -hmm. They they need to be taught how to live a life like a saved person. And so they need those next steps. And so I think sermons will inspire you, but relationships will change you. Mm. It's why Jesus didn't just say, you know, let me tell you a sermon, right? Yeah. He invited them. He said, come and follow me. Mm-hmm. Come live with me. Come eat with me. Come walk with me. Come talk with me. And it's Christianity divorced from relationship is not Christianity. It's not. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people have. You know, I, I hear people all the time. Yeah, me and God are good, but I'm not in the church. If you're not in the church, you and God aren't good. You're not good. Right. Because the church is his body. I mean, how could I say me and my wife are good, but I haven't seen her, touched her, talked with her, walked with her been with her in years, but we're good. Yeah. Okay. The Bible says the church is his body. He is present in the gathering of his people. And so when we're divorced from that, we're divorced from God and we need to be in his presence. And so, you know, every single week, you know, what I want people to think about is what is, where is God challenging you to be real? What's the one thing God's asking you to do? Then you need to be in a community group of people that know you and love you because you can get that wrong. Uh, you asked me about my, my favorite verses. Another verse in Psalms is, keep me from lying to myself, O Lord. Teach me the truth of your word. Why? Because the number one person we deceive the most is ourselves. And so, uh, I mean, I know people all the time who know scripture and are, and are deceived. They're absolutely off, dysfunctional. I mean, people all the time who are getting divorced quote scripture. I'm like, geez, you know, the people who killed Jesus quoted scripture, mm-hmm. you know, it's sad. And so um, we we can become our own enemy in terms of not understanding God. And that's why we need people that love us enough to speak truth into our lives. And that's why you need to be an bold, authentic community. And, um, you know, I know Stephanie knows this. It's hard to be real with people. Mm-hmm. You know, Stephanie's um, my little peacemaker friend <laughs> and loves to make peace with people. But sometimes that's the, that's at the expense of people's own well being. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ever since you've stepped into leadership, right? I'm always challenging. You got to speak the truth in love, speak the truth in love. Mm -hmm. You got to tell people, and I've lost a lot of friendships. Mm -hmm. Not everybody wants to hear the truth, but I want to be in relationship with people who want to change. And so, you know, as we enter this next year, that's what I would ask you is in 2017, where's the one area where God's asking you to be real? Every single year, tackle a new issue. You know, I'm 45 years old. I'm more spiritual and love Jesus more than most people in our church. I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. (laughs) 
You know, I, I got a lot of work to do and I want every single year to tackle something new and, um, you know, find a new area of my life where I, I need to explore. And, um, you know, um, th- that's, that's just, you know, the truth. Mm-hmm. Every single year there needs to be something new. And I, I discovered something new about myself that, you know, that um, I, I shared with Pastor Andrew actually at the gym on Monday um, this week. You know, I was just something that, you know, I realized, man, uh, I get really selfish at the holidays because we have Christmas and then two kids' birthdays. So my wife gets super focused on the family, which, right, that's her job, Mm -hmm. but I feel left. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is I need to communicate that, but part of it's, it's not always about me, right? Yeah. Mm. And I I Mm. need to deal with that. And so um, I I praise God that I have a wife that, you know, has family at such a high priority and that my kids are such a high priority Um, because without her, I don't know that they would be. Because I get to t- I get tend to be very self focused, and so that's mm-hmm. something new for me. So one of my visions this year is I need to be more real about myself as I enter into times where we celebrate others. I need to join her in that, and, and what what can I do that's awesome. uh, to participate w- with her in that? So okay, so here we are, twenty years later from when you planted Sandals Church. You're you're willing to be real like that now, but you're not the only one, right? Like being real has changed my life, Stephanie's and, you know, thousands of people's lives. How has that transferred? You know what I mean? How did you get other people to come and really embrace this vision of being real? Yeah. And I think that's the part is that's the God part. So I said that the vision came from two things. Number one, from God's heart. And number two, from my need. I think that because it's from God's heart, because being real is God's heart. Jesus says in uh, John 8, 32, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah. Right. That's God's heart. Authenticity and truth has always been at the center of who God is, right? God does not lie. Every word that he speaks, every word that comes forth from his mouth is truth. What's another way that we say that in a contemporary way? Being real. Mm -hmm. So that is God's heart for us is that we would walk in truth, that we would live in truth, that we would live in truthful community, um, that we would embrace that, that that would be the number one agenda. And, and so how do churches get dysfunctional when we care more about what people think than about what God's called us to do? And, mm. and we need to live in truth. And I'll tell you why people aren't real, because they care more about what everybody else thinks than about what God thinks. And what God thinks is we should walk in truth as he's in truth. And I think people are drawn to that. And I think people are grateful that Sandals is not a show that... Um, you know, I don't think that we attract Christians real well, but lost people love it. And I think that's been the beauty of Sandals Church. You know, there's, there's tons of good God-fearing Christians around Riverside and the surrounding cities that just scratch their heads and they look at Sandals and they go, I don't get it. And you know what? They don't get it. <laughs> they don't. They're still going to play the game. They're still going to do those things. They're still going to live in this, you know, uh, this untruthful version of what Christianity is. And some of that is they just don't know how. Yeah. They, they, they've not been taught. They've not heard the sermons that we talk about here. They've not, you know, I mean, every pastor chooses a perspective when he preaches. The perspective that I've chosen is, is to be real. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, think, I think that's important and, and that's what's kept me guided and, and I think kept other people guided. And it's just, it's just so attractive because, I mean, who wants to be fake with themselves, others than God, right? right? Yeah. Um, I mean, even people that do that would never say it. Yeah. So... Um, I think that's why it's been, it's so impactful is because it's not my vision. It's God's vision. Mm. Uh, it was my need and God gave me the vision because I had the need. Um, but, um, 
I mean, this is the will of God that people would be real with themselves, real with him and real with each other. And, um, you know, people struggle with, you know, well, why is being real with yourself so important? Because where else are you going to meet God? You know, um, we don't go to the temple to worship. We are the temple. God meets me in my heart, in the recesses of my heart, in the truth of my innermost being. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he prays that we would be strengthened in our inner man. Mm -hmm. What does he mean? There's something inside of us that needs to be strengthened. What God cares about resides within the depths of our being. It's our soul. I mean, obviously God doesn't care about how we look, right? <laughs> we all look different. I still right? have my hair. Yeah. <laughs> Your hair was beautiful. That picture was so beautiful. You had amazing <laughs> hair. I don't know that I love the overalls, but I love the hair. Dude, we got to bring them back. I'm no, never no. going to wear overalls. I, I, I promise you. you will never see me in overalls. Thank you. Because I have a really long clip, torso. So. Uh, let's be real for a second about the, the anatomy of my body. <laughs> I have like an abnormally long torso. Mm -hmm. And I have like the shortest legs on earth. It's so embarrassing. Like if, if you've ever seen Fred Flintstone, that's my body. I'm just not as stocky. Oh man, that's oh. awesome. All right. Well, now 20 years into being a part of and leading a church, it's all about being real. What would you say then is probably the hardest thing about being real? I think for me, it's constantly reminding myself, for, for me, um, are people still going to love me and follow me if I confess this? Mm-hmm. And so as the leader, I put pressure on myself to be better. Um, and so I talked about my core sin being deception. Um, a couple years ago, I did this thing called deep healing that was really profound in my life. And um, Dr. Charles Kraft, who's a professor at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, um, he called out the demon of deception in my life. And um, well, you know, one of the ways that the devil worked in my life was I would tell everybody else about how they could be forgiven, but I wouldn't allow myself to be forgiven. And it's because I created separate standards for myself. And so I'm an achiever. I'm, I'm, I want to be successful. And so I have extraordinarily high standards. And so what that means is when I do the Ironman and my time is 1128, I think it should have been 1028. Mm -hmm. And so I don't celebrate in, in, in the time that, you know. Um, the fact that you just did an Ironman. Yeah. You know, and I came in 212th place out of 3,000 people. Well, there was 211 people that, you know, beat me. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I just, I get a little ridiculous on that. And so I create this standard. And so when that happens, uh, you know, I feel like, um, you know, I, I can't confess lust because a pastor shouldn't have lust. Or I, I can't confess envy because a pastor shouldn't have envy. Or I can't confess lying because a pastor shouldn't lie. And, um, you know, the truth is every time, like, let's say I'll, you know, um, and I, man, I, I'm such a stickler for the truth now. Like even exaggerations, I try to come back and correct if I'm off, you know, if I, you know, you know, we had 20,000 people in church on Sunday, I'm going to come back. We, we, we only had, you know, and I'll try to give you the real number because I don't want any of that creeping back in my life. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that, that I've learned is, and anybody who's at our church, if you're a small group leader, if you're a minister, if you're growing in your faith, the longer you've known and loved Jesus and you want to be real, the harder it becomes. Mm -hmm. The people who do it the best are the people who come at first and like, oh my gosh, I can tell everybody everything. And it's like, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because they love it. But after you've been here a while, you're going to be embarrassed. Uh, I think it's harder for you to confess like what you shared that, you know, when you and your wife have tension that you still have a desire to go look at porn mm -hmm. and medicate the way that many men and women do when they're feeling hurt. Um, you know, just like I think it's harder for, it's easier for an alcoholic to say I'm an alcoholic than it is for a person who's been sober for 10 years to say I went and got hammered last night. Yep. Mm -hmm because they have more at stake. There's more at stake, there, there's more to lose. And um, what I would say you need to care about, you need to care about not losing your integrity. 
So care about that more than anything. And so what, de- what, what integrity demands is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so I need to be real, you know, with my wife about something. Um, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, I did this TV talk show and um, I didn't even know it at first, but the, the talk show, how the gal was, you know, this blonde, beautiful, you know, bombshell doing whatever. And I, you know, I don't know, I guess I got a little flirty. I don't know what happened, but my wife is standing there after the show's over and she's staring at me and she's like, all right. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you were floating. That's what she said. She said, you were floating. Huh. And I was just like, so she saw it in me Interesting. before I saw it in myself. And I, mm-hmm. and, and I, at first I wanted to be defensive, you know, you're ridiculous, you're whatever. And I was like, all right, you're right. I'm never talking to her again. We just left. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was just embarrassing. But my wife was like, I, I can marry the Holy Spirit. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. she's brutally truthful. So, um, you know, but I'm grateful for that. And it's just owning it, you know? Um, you know, and I can't tell you how many times I just say, when my wife or somebody calls me out, I've learned to say, you're right. I'm wrong. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. And just, just own it. I think that's, I think that's the hardest thing. The longer you pursue this vision, the harder it is to be real. Mm-hmm. because there's more at stake. Mm-hmm. You care more about your integrity and, and we just have to care more about the truth than we do about our reputation. Right. You know, I'm sorry, we need to care about integrity, but not our reputation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Jesus had no reputation. He emptied himself of everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so. Okay, last question. If you could go back to January, 1997, you're getting ready to start this whole thing off What and talk to, you know, Pastor Matt Brown back then, what would you say to that guy? I Man, I would just hug him. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just would. And I would just tell him, you know, God loves you. Um, um, you know the movie The Shack's coming out? Mm-hmm. So the author, the author, the guy that wrote that book, um, he's a little different. Uh, some of the things he believes are, are true mm-hmm. <laughs> about Jesus, and some of them are really odd. Um, but um, I was at I was at this uh, interview one time, and I, we were sitting around a um, a camp like not a campfire. Uh, it was at the Billy Graham uh, Retreat Center, and okay. there's like a big fireplace. It's like a you know an yeah. ancient British fireplace, and the fire's roaring, and Tammy and I are sitting next to it, and uh, he just comes up and the author he, of the shack, the author of the shack, and he says the father, uh, he says Papa, but he says Papa wants me to tell you that he really loves you. Hmm. And um, I think that you need to hear that. And we sat down and we talked for three hours. Hmm. And um, if I could go back, um, I think so much of my insecurity and, and my, my, my need to pretend comes from me not trusting and believing that, that God truly loves me. Um, he said, Papa loves you and Papa's proud. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, was, it, was one of those, it was one of those nights where I, I'll never forget. Like that guy is one of the greatest minds ever. If you read the shack, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the whole book is about a conversation with God about why my daughter died. That's what the book's about. And um, my daughter didn't die, but the, the guy in the, the character in the book's daughter died. It's a fantastic book. It's not theologically accurate and everything, but it's pretty fantastic. And I would just go back to Matt and I would say, God loves you and you're going to make it. Mm-hmm. There's so much stress, you know, my hair fell out. Um, it grew back, sorry. Um, <laughs> but my hair fell out. You know, there's so many times of, of feeling like we're not gonna make it. Um, there's no way, you know, on the verge of just collapse so many times. And um, I think all that worry took away from me being a husband I needed to be, the dad I needed to be. I needed to be more present. Um, I needed to enjoy. And, um, you, know, here, you know, what I've learned now 
and I don't know that you can learn this any other way, is that God is with us and we're going to make it. I've learned that. And, um, and if we die, it's because it was our time. So other than that, I'm just, I'm just going to trust God in this process. And, um, I don't know. Uh, I just, I just would literally give myself a hug and say, I believe in you. Mm. Um, I, I see your giftedness. I see your talent and you're going to make it. Um, you know, and, and I, and I feel like, you know, and I, and I, and I would say this is Matt, your vision is God given and don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. Cause I had a pretty, uh, dominant mega church pastor really challenge me on mm-hmm. why being real was first. And, and the answer is he's not real. Yeah. He doesn't live real. He just tells people about Jesus and he lives a very unreal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. That's not the vision God gave him, but it's the vision God gave me. And, um, it's the vision that God's given about 10,000 people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's good news. And so, um, I would also tell Matt this, um, it's not going to happen as fast as you think it's going to happen, but it's because you're not ready and know that all the suffering is preparing you to be ready. Um, and so the reason I think I'm not like these other mega church pastors that keep dropping like flies is they got success too quickly and I had to struggle. And, um, you know, I, I, I shared with you guys, um, you know, I, I just finished first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, that's where I've been the last couple of weeks. And the fundamental difference between Saul and David is Saul was given the kingdom and David had to earn it and David had to wait for it. Hmm. So, right. I mean, literally yeah. Saul is anointed, boom, you're king. And all of a sudden he's winning, marrying, getting concubines. Life is yeah. good. David is anointed, hiding in caves, running for his life. And even after Saul dies, there's, there's a chapter in uh, Samuel that a lot of people don't read. It says, and there was a great civil war that lasted too long. Hmm. A lot of people died. A lot of people were slaughtered and a lot of people were hurt. And, um, um, you know, I think that that's been the beauty of my journey is that I'm David and not Saul. Um, I think our next pastor will be Solomon. Um, that's my hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, right, that's the fullest extent of the kingdom ever because Solomon didn't have to fight all those battles. And, and that's how I see Andy Stanley versus Charles Stanley. Andy oh, yeah. Stanley, Solomon. But he didn't, he didn't experience the bloodbaths that, that Charles dad. Stanley did. Hmm. Charles Stanley fought the wars so Andy could experience the blessings. And That's so I, I'm hopeful for whoever our next pastor is that they will reign and rule and do great things. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of threefold, you know, uh, uh, leadership transitions in the Bible. You know, Moses gets Joshua, Elijah gets Elisha, David heads Solomon. There's not yeah. <laughs> that third guy, you know, <laughs> sorry. So whoever that is, we pray that you do well, but... You know, every movement has its zenith and then has its fall. And, and, and the same will be true for sandals. Um, you know, so I, I just would tell Matt, you're going to make it. Don't worry about money so much. You know, we were so poor. We struggled. So, you know, I read these stories about these mega pastors that have these ranches and these, I'm like, I don't have those problems. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, you're going to make it. You know, we were so poor and we, you know, we we struggled so mightily to make it. And, um, you know, I think about you guys, you get hired, you know, Lenny just got hired, you know, you get benefits, there's retirement, there's all these options, you know, uh, 
you know, I remember Tammy and I choosing not to go to the doctors because we didn't have it and not being able to figure that out and, and trying to, you know, do those things. And, you know, my wife gave birth to two kids without healthcare. You know, we did that. And, um, I was so afraid. So you asked me earlier, you know, how do we know how to stop having kids? I was yeah. just afraid we couldn't afford them. And, um, uh, but we did and they're beautiful and they're amazing and they're in college and, you know, God's doing great things. And, uh, the struggle, will, I would tell Matt, the struggle will be intense and God will bring you to the brink of the end of yourself. And, uh, you know, I was talking to uh, a mom in my office um, last week and she said, I know God will never give me more than I can handle. And I stopped her. I said, life is more than we can handle. That's mm-hmm. why we need God. Mm-hmm. And what I would tell Matt is it's going to be more than you can handle every day. Mm-hmm. And so you need God every day. Yep. And... Um, the church is bigger. It's more complex. Life has changed. The world that existed in 1997 does not exist now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does not exist. It's gone. And, um, you know, think about the world that will exist in 2027, you know, 10 years from now or 47, you know, probably about the time I'm ready to retire. You know, um, who knows what that'll be. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe people will be watching a hologram. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, work well for you. Yeah, it's a little creepy, but um, <laughs> you know, who knows what what life will be like? I mean, maybe we won't even be able to meet collectively as a church in forty years or twenty years, or yeah. you know. So, um, I don't know. God is with you, and just enjoy the ride. That's what I wish I would have done. Enjoy the ride. Celebrate the victories, man. Mm-hmm. Fight the battles and celebrate the victories because you don't always win. Mm-hmm. You don't. Yeah. You know. Um, in my book that never came out. <laughs> Um, I had this great line. Um, and and just so you guys know, the book wasn't ready. I mean, it's not ready. So, uh, but there's this great line in one of the chapters and it says, God won the war in the heavens so we could fight and win in the trenches. And, um, um, and I think people forget that, that, that Jesus won the war so we could win the battles, the little battles. And, um, um, I didn't win every battle, you know, I lost sometimes. And when you lose, dust yourself up you know, confess it to somebody, pray, cry, and move on. You're not going to win every battle. I wish, I wish I did. I don't, you know, I don't win every envy battle. I don't win every lust battle. I don't win every pride battle. God, I wish I did. I win those, (laughs) you know, um, I don't win every fear battle. You know, I, I, I don't win them. I don't win every gluttony battle. Um, you know, I'm battling right now. I, I, uh, I'm doing no sugar for January. I'm dying. I've been at like four birthday parties, a wedding. I'm like dying. And that wedding at Friday night, they mm-hmm. only serve sweets. <laughs> I was dying. So, um, so far I've won every battle, but they all suck. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Man, that's good stuff. Listen, if you guys want to share this episode with your friends, uh, hopefully invite them to <laughs> be real with you. You can find this show uh, online, debrief.show slash 48. We're getting so close to 50. So that's pretty cool. Debrief.show slash 48. And if you want to support Sandals Church and the uh, work God is doing here, including the debrief, we would love that. If you text give debrief to 951-900-4120, that gives you an option. And even if you would be willing to throw down a dollar for this episode uh, to help support what God's doing here, man, that that all that together would make a huge impact. Just text give debrief to 951-900-4120. We can't wait to see you guys hopefully on the uh, live show, January 24th, 7 p.m. 
Instagram. Please go to the Facebook page, RSVP. Let us know you're coming so we can uh, prepare for if a billion people are coming, we'll know how to solve that problem. That would be awesome. And before we get out of here, I've got some particular questions about some stuff Christians say. Yes. Learning Christian news, I think I'm learning Christian news, I really think so. Learning Christian news, I think I'm learning Christian news, I really think so. So what do Christians mean when they say testimony? I got this one a lot, by the way, after this weekend, sharing a message. A bunch of people said, brother, thank you for sharing your testimony. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a great testimony. Yeah. That so testimony it's is just, man, that's, that's one of those Christian things that just make no sense whatsoever. It just means your story, your story about the work of God in your life. That's what it means. And what you need, what people need to say is, thank you for sharing your story about the work of Jesus in your life. That's what a testimony is. And for, excuse me, unfortunately, most people's testimony is not about the work of Jesus in their life. It's about their stupidity <laughs> before Jesus came into their life. And that's what's so sad is the real story, this was also in my book, that didn't come out. <laughs> the the, the, the real story. I do have a, a, a Bible study for sale at Lifeway. <laughs> there you right go. Get one push, yeah. Get What's one it called? Up. Identity. That's Identity. what it's called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go pick that up at Lifeway Christian bookstores. Um, but the other thing I talk about is your testimony begins after you come to Christ. Mm. And and I, you know, that's the story. Right. The story is what did God do? What mm-hmm. is God doing? Not how are you an idiot? Um, and so it, it's so sad and tragic that, you know, we spend all the time on our sin and none of, none of the time on the transformation that God's given. And so, yeah, testimony. So you think about the New Testament, it is the story of Jesus. The Old Testament is the story of God in the lives of the people of Israel. And so uh, it's a testament to, you know, like a, a memory of the person. So, um, yeah, that's what people mean. I did a funeral last week and the pastor, it was at a more, much more conservative church than us. And the pastor's opening words were, we don't need to mourn for her because she's in glory. I was like, what does that mean? yeah, means heaven. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, at Saddles, you would never hear me say you're in glory. I mean, it's just, that just sounds weird, but. It's just things that people say. So, yeah, I appreciate your story of what Jesus has done in your life and your you journey go. becoming real. Um, yeah, that's why I don't preach out of the King James. Why on earth would I want to translate English into English? Exactly. So, Well, uh, okay, everybody, let's not say testimony anymore. Let's intentionally not confuse people. Mm. How about that? Let's be intentional about not confusing and so again, thanks for listening, everybody. I want to create a place where you can be real. And especially, I know that you know some of you don't attend Sandals. Some of you are not even Christians. And uh, thank you so much for listening. It humbles me that you listen to these conversations. And my hope is that as you listen, uh, you would hear and feel the touch of God because it will forever change your life, I promise. <laughs>